There are two scripture readings this morning. The first is Psalm 150, which Mary LaRussa and the young and young in heart gave us earlier in the session. The second reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said that, Jesus showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hand and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, Jesus' disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put them in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, You have believed because you have seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. How many of you have seen the movie The Far, uh, the far Side? The, the Blind Side? It's about the, um, not that many. All right, be honest. Raise your hand if you've seen. It actually doesn't matter. I'm, I'm going to explain it really quick. Michael Orr is this young black boy whose mother was a crack addict. And he, he gets into this white Christian school, but he doesn't have a place to stay. And this very rich family kind of takes him in and realizes that he's got this amazing football ability. And in order for him to get to college, he's going to need a tutor because he's got a like 0.16 GPA. He's got a D plus average. And so they go and they find a tutor for Michael. And the tutor is called Miss Sue. And they're talking to Miss Sue. 
And she actually had applied at Wingate, which is this Christian school. And they said, well, you didn't get in. And she, she says, you should know that I'm a spiritual person. And this is the point, the whole point. If you missed everything else, you're fine. This is the point. I'm a spiritual person, but I have my doubts. And those doubts were enough to keep Miss Sue from being a teacher at the school, which is not the point of the movie, but it's the point of my sermon. So there it is. So I've now lifted up something that's not the point of the movie into being the point. So now you're thoroughly confused. In our society, how many of you think doubt is the opposite of faith? Is faith and doubt, is, is doubt the opposite of faith? Could be. And you say, you don't think so. Who says yes? Okay. It's okay. You can. Doubt is not misbelief. Well, doubt could be misbelief, but is mis. Okay, let's, let's do it that way. Is misbelief, well, disbelief. Disbelief. Is disbelief the opposite of faith? Can we agree on that? Okay. Um, I'm actually going to say no, it's not. All right. So, and, and, for, and for me, this is, this is one of the, the huge common misconceptions in our faith tradition. We think faith and doubt, faith, disbelief. And, and they're not. They are absolutely not. I would say that the opposite of faith is not doubt or disbelief, but actually it's apathy. Not caring at all. If you go back to the stories of the early church in the, in the resurrection, you go to all four Gospels, and it is filled with disbelief. The women go sadly in tears to the tomb, expecting to find it filled with Jesus' body. The disciples, when women come and they say, He's risen. He's not in the tomb. They think, what, last, last week you got one week's retention here. What did they consider it? It was the name of the sermon. They called it an idle tale, or another translation would be a bunch of hooey. <laughs> Utter nonsense. They didn't believe it. Thomas is lifted up as the one who doubts, but they all had doubts. Did they not believe Jesus? They had their doubts. Okay. Thomas, what do we know about Thomas? Does anybody know anything about Thomas? This is like the most unfair quiz I've ever given. Because he's called a twin. Thank you. See, that was just up there. See, if you know an answer, you shout it out early. Everyone thinks you're really smart, even though it only happened two and a half minutes ago. And then it's like, wow, she knew that. It's like she just read the screen. There's actually only two references to Thomas in all of the, the New Testament, and they both come from the Gospel of John. And the first one is when Jesus says that he's going to go to Lazarus because Lazarus is asleep. And I said, well, if he's asleep, he's going to wake up. Do we really need to make the journey? I said, no, actually, Lazarus is dead. And then Thomas says, we need to go too so that we can die with Jesus if he's killed for this because it's going to be right near Jerusalem. Thomas was the one that said, we need to go as well. 
so that we can die. So this is a guy who's already all in. If Jesus is going to die, we're going to die with him. The second one, and I love this one, Jesus is doing his grand farewell. Um, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, do not let them be afraid, for you know where I am going. And you can see all the disciples nodding their head thinking, where is this guy going? <laughs> Peter, James, and John are like, yeah, okay, okay, well, yeah, do you know? And Thomas just said, uh, uh, no, actually, we don't know. How could we know where you're going? And then he says, I'm going to the Father. But Thomas is that type in the back. It's like, I'm, I'm lost. Can you, can you stop for a moment and clarify this? Because when you said that we know where we're going, and I don't know, and I don't want to raise my hand to go somewhere where I don't know where I'm going. It's kind of like in the Lord of the Rings where... The, the two silly guys show up and they're going to Mordor and it's like, we're, we're going too? It's like, great, where are we going? You know, they sign up before they know where they're going. Thomas wants to know. So Thomas is with the disciples and he shows up and he said, we have seen the Lord. We have seen the Lord and what's he say? Right. Sure you have. Unless I see the hole of the nails in his hands, unless I physically put my hand in his side, I won't believe. It's not happening. I won't believe. Next week, Jesus shows up and looks at him and says, So, check this out. And go ahead and put your hand here. And then the response of Thomas is interesting. What does Thomas say? What would you do in this situation? Apologize. Darn straight. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you know? I am really sorry I doubted this. Yeah, I mean, you're like, oh, gee, I feel like an idiot now, right? You would apologize. And he just looks at him, he just kind of falls on his knees, and he says, my Lord and my God. The 50-cent word for this is Christological title. This is the highest Christological title, the highest understanding of who Jesus was. Who was Jesus? That's Christology. What did Jesus do with soteriology? You've just learned two words in Greek. You go, hoo-hoo. You can forget him by the end of the day and be no worse off. But the highest Christological title in all of Scripture comes from Thomas, my Lord and my God. And Thomas goes all the way to India. And he starts the Martoma Church, the Church of Thomas. I went to seminary with uh, a couple of um, ministers who were in the Martoma Church. One of them who was going to be bishop. In the Martoma Church, when you um, become a minister, they give you a name of the, one of the Gospels, and his name was John, and so they gave him, the, the Gospel name was John, so he was John John. We called him John Squared. <coughs> and, and they're proud of the fact that Thomas went all the way to India. 
and Thomas preached in India. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. I'll take a doubter any day. How many of you, come on, let's be honest, how many of you have doubts? Does that mean you don't have faith? No. Seriously? I mean, if you didn't have doubts, how would your faith evolve? How would you go from one place to the next? When I was, I've, I've done this before, but I learned to pray when I was swimming. And before my swim meets, when I was an eight and under, I would pray to win. Man, God, let me win. And, and you're always nervous, so I would usually do it in the, in, the, in the stalls, right before the race, right? I'm nervous. So I'm in the stalls praying to God to win. This is like the most pious place you can pray, right? I would pray to win. And then I got to be about 10, and I realized, well, what happens if I pray to win? And I'm swimming against Nick, who I'm going to kick his tail. But Nick prays to win, too. How does God figure that out? Hmm. I know, I'm going to pray not to lose. Which wasn't that much better, but I was 10, right? So I pray not to lose when I'm 10. And then I start having doubts. Well, well how does that work? And when I got older, I realized, you know what? Most of the time when I lose, I do it because I psych myself out. Not because the person's all that much better than I am, because at that level it's really close, but usually at the very last, you know, you get psyched out. So I used to pray not to have myself lose, not to, not to beat myself. And then, then you get older and you pray that nobody gets hurt, all that stuff, you know, the in football. And so I learned to pray when I was swimming, really. I mean, that's where I, more school than in church. But at every point, I had to doubt, well, does that work? Would God really want to grant me that? Isn't that how it works? What's the, you know, you, you, you have a loving God, and God, suddenly you think God's going to send somebody who sings Sanskrit to an eternal climate where it's really hot and there's no air conditioning for eternity? Is this the God that I worship? Is this the God I believe in? Maybe that God doesn't exist. I spent a year in Scotland. Scotland is not a place where you want to study. I studied the Holocaust for a year in Scotland. I studied the works of Elie Wiesel. And let me tell you, if you're going to study the Holocaust, don't do it in Scotland. Because it's dark and it's cold and the winters are brutal. Yeah, I was in St. Andrews. But, you know, the winds come off of Siberia and they pick up moisture off the North Sea. And it's a lovely, lovely winter. That's why there are so many pubs in St. Andrews. Because it's the only thing you can do in the winter is have a pint. But I went through this year and I studied this, the, the effects of these people who had just prayed fervently and fervently for God and just got creamed. And I was just angry at God. I was so angry. And I have journals full of being angry at God. And I think God just smiled. You know, you look at the little kids. How many of you, when you were a kid, got really angry with your parent? I'm probably the only one. <laughs> when, you're, when you're little and you, and you, just, you just have a fit because your parent is the stupidest, dumbest, meanest parent in the face of the earth. And they're making you eat your vegetables and go to bed on time and take a bath. You know, when you're 12, you don't want to take a bath. And then, you know, and my parents just like, okay, you're 12, I'm an adult, I'm going to actually be the adult here. And you don't think, I'm never going to talk to my child again. because you know, 
We think we're these emotionally and spiritually evolved people. My favorite quote of all time is, we are all spiritual kindergartners trying to spell God with the wrong blocks. <laughs> and I think that's who we are to God. I think we are spiritual kindergartners trying to spell God with the wrong blocks. And we're fighting over the blocks. These are my blocks. Your blocks are wrong. Really? God's saying, really, I'm up here. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. The opposite of faith is apathy, not caring. I ran from my call my whole life. I ran, 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 ran. I knew I was called to the ministry when I was in eighth grade. Scared me to death. I'm not going to do that. I will make God, God, I will make you a deal. I will, I will get my Ph.D. and I will teach theology either at a seminary or in a university. I will teach other young minds about you, but I ain't doing it. <laughs> ain't doing it. And I realize you can't do that. First of all, God's got more time than you do. But I tried my best to run away and keep God at arm's length. I really did. I did my darndest. But it didn't work for me. I don't know what the motivation was for those disciples to follow Jesus. I do know that Thomas was all in. But he wasn't going to believe a story just because somebody told him. He needed to have an experience. He said, okay, I see you, and, and, and this is important language for the church. Thomas, have you seen, have you believed because you have seen? Blessed are those who believe and have not seen. Sometimes we think seen with our eyes is what's really important. And it's really not. It's seen with our understanding. It's seen with our heart. I don't think when Thomas saw Jesus physically that that was it. I think he finally really got it. Because Jesus didn't hang around, did he? I mean, he hung around for a while, but then, boink, you've got the Ascension Sunday, the Beam Me Up Scotty Sunday, and then he's gone. And then you're on your own. So was it physically seen that was enough, or was it understanding? In the midst of this, I'm sure they all had doubts. I'm sure they continued to have doubts. How could they not? How could you grow if you didn't have doubts? But they continued to care. In Judaism, it's why the children are in, you know, encouraged to ask questions. Continue to ask questions. You can ask questions, ask questions. If you're in any religious tradition, where they tell you questions are not okay, do not walk, but run. <coughs> do not walk, but run away. Questions, doubts, concerns, all this stuff, it's not so that, you, you know, when you're fully formed, just like, I have no more doubts, I have... I think that when you're like in that transition between this world and the next, and you kind of got one foot in both doors, your doubts kind of go away then because you can see both places. But right now, all we can do is, in Paul's words, see through a glass darkly. That's all we get. And when you see through a glass darkly, how could you not have doubts? But it's not the doubts that define us. It's not the doubt that defines us, because that's part of faith. Paul Tillich actually has a book, Dynamics of Faith, where, where doubt is an integral part 
of faith. It helps you move up the ladder, helps you progress, helps you question, helps you keep moving forward. But for God's sakes and for your sake, don't slip into apathy. Because then the world is in a world of hurt. If we can be like Thomas and see not with our eyes, but with our understanding, we'll be okay. And that's good news. Amen.